Well, hello, and welcome to the 5511 Podcast. My name is Jonathan Edders. Today we will continue on in our study of Galatians as we begin chapter 2. But before we start, I want to let you know that tomorrow we are going to have a special episode for Resurrection Sunday. So there will be a quick break from our Galatians study, and we'll pick that right back up on Monday. You know, it's a bit of a challenge this year as Easter services have been canceled, churches have been closed altogether for a few weeks now due to the quarantine, and we're not going to be able to have the typical Easter Sunday that a lot of us are used to. But in this time, we can still take heart. Because regardless of what is going on in the world, we can still rejoice in our homes and with our families that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He has defeated sin and death and the devil. He lives and reigns forever at the right hand of the Father. He makes intercession for us as our great high priest. We have so much to be thankful for. Praise the Lord that we have such a wonderful, powerful Savior. And so with this in mind, let's open up our Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 2, and get ready to dive in. Alright, so before we start reading, let's remember where we're at through chapter 1. The Christians in Galatia were being drawn away from the true gospel by a group known as the Judaizers. Now, the Judaizers came in after Paul had left, and they started teaching the Christians that while you need to believe in Jesus, you also need to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses in order to actually be saved. And so they called Paul's message into question, saying that he had taught an incomplete gospel because he left out this whole circumcision and following the law stuff. And so they're saying that Paul is teaching something contrary to the true gospel and that he's teaching something contrary to what the apostles in Jerusalem are teaching. And so Paul finds out about this, and he has to contend for the purity of his message. And so he contends for the purity of his gospel to those Christians who are being drawn away by establishing his authority as an apostle, because he was called directly by Jesus Christ. And then he continues on to point out that he did not come up with this message on his own. And he didn't learn it from somebody else, but he received it directly from Jesus. So now here in chapter 2, he's continuing to develop his argument for the true gospel. So we're going to take a look here at verse 1 through verse 10. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me, God shows no partiality, those, I say, who seemed influential 
added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Okay, so let's unpack this here. Remember that one of the accusations that the Judaizers were leveling against Paul was that he was teaching a gospel that was contrary to the gospel that the apostles in Jerusalem were teaching. And so Paul is pointing out to the Galatians, Hey, I went to Jerusalem with Barnabas and with Titus, and I told the apostles there the gospel that I was teaching. And guess what we found out? We're teaching the same gospel. And Titus went with me, and he's a Greek. And the apostles in Jerusalem did not require him to be circumcised. And then he goes on in verse 4. Because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. He's talking to the dear Galatian church, who he loves so much, saying, I have fought for you, for the purity of this gospel. Do not let somebody come in and corrupt it and pervert it to say that you are required to do something additional to what Christ has already done. He points out in verse 6 that God shows no partiality of persons and that those who were influential, those apostles there in Jerusalem, particularly Peter and James and John, he says, they added nothing to me. Meaning that they didn't tell Paul anything that he didn't already know from Jesus. They didn't tell Paul that he needed to adjust his message a little bit in order to be more accurate. On the contrary, they recognized that the same one who entrusted the gospel to Paul was the same one who entrusted the gospel to Peter and to James and to John and to all the apostles. He says in verse 8, For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And Paul and all the other apostles recognized that. And so they extended the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and to Paul and said that they should continue on teaching the Gentiles what they had been teaching them and that they there in Jerusalem would continue teaching the Jews. They only ask that Barnabas and Paul remember the poor. And Paul says, no problem. I was already eager to do that. But as far as this argument that the Judaizers have made against Paul that he taught something different than what the apostles in Jerusalem taught. 
Well, that just got shut down. Because Paul points out to the Galatians, if the apostles in Jerusalem did not require Titus to be circumcised while they were there, then how can the Judaizers come to you and require you to be circumcised? It doesn't make any sense. So Paul is strategically dismantling the arguments of the Judaizers. But there is something else that we could take a look at here, and I think it would be helpful for us to recognize. In Acts chapter 15 is where the decision was reached that Gentiles are not required to be circumcised. But in Acts chapter 16, Paul meets Timothy. And let's read what happens there. Acts chapter 16, verse 1 through 5. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. So this is interesting. After the decision had been reached in Jerusalem that Gentiles are not required to be circumcised, Paul meets Timothy and has him circumcised. And then the two of them go to these other cities and tell them what the apostles had said, that Gentiles are not required to be circumcised. So is Paul being contradictory here? No, not at all. And here's why. Because Timothy's circumcision was not done as a requirement of the law or a requirement of salvation. Timothy's circumcision was done out of consideration for the Jews who were in those places. Timothy was circumcised to remove an obstacle to the gospel because the Jews there would not have listened to an uncircumcised man talking about things pertaining to God. So the difference between Timothy and Titus is that when Titus was there, the Judaizers were insisting that he was required to be circumcised in order to be saved. So Paul rejected that. But with Timothy, it was something done freely to remove an obstacle to the gospel. There's a theological term called adiaphora, or matters of indifference. And these are things that Christians are neither required nor forbidden to do. For example, does a Christian have their devotional time in the morning or in the evening? That's a matter of indifference. But as soon as we take an adiaphora and make it into a law, we have to reject it. We would agree that a Christian has freedom to study God's word anytime, day or night. But as soon as we say that they are required to have a morning devotional time or else they're not even saved, we've moved from freedom to bondage, from the gospel back to the law. To Paul, circumcision falls under this category. A Christian is free to remain uncircumcised, as Titus was, but a Christian is also free to become circumcised to remove an obstacle to the gospel, as in the case of Timothy. So we're able to see Paul's teaching more clearly now. 
He isn't anti-circumcision. He's not anti-law. He doesn't teach that circumcision is a sin, or else he wouldn't have had Timothy circumcised. What he is saying is that we cannot take elements of the law and insert them into the gospel. We cannot say that there are requirements of the law that you must fulfill in order to be saved by Christ. Because to do that is to say that Jesus started something that you have to finish. Jesus almost saved you, and you have to do the rest. And that is a wicked perversion of the gospel. And to pervert the gospel is to sin. The law is good, and Paul recognizes that. And as we continue studying in Galatians, we will see that Paul holds the law in very high regard. He simply insists that it be in its right place, that the law not be taught as the fulfillment of the gospel, but that the gospel is the fulfillment of the law. Let me conclude with something that Luther wrote. He says, Some will object that the law is divine and holy. Let it be divine and holy. The law has no right to tell me that I must be justified by it. The law has the right to tell me that I should love God and my neighbor, that I should live in chastity, temperance, patience, etc. The law has no right to tell me how I may be delivered from sin, death, and hell. It is the gospel's business to tell me that. I must listen to the gospel. It tells me not what I must do, but what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has done for me. Amen. So until next time, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey there, this is Jonathan Edders. Thank you for tuning in to the 5511 podcast. 5511 is a devotional podcast that gets its name from Isaiah 5511, where God promises that His Word will do His work. The heart behind this podcast is to hear and receive God's promises day by day as He has revealed them in His Word, the Bible. You can connect with us on Facebook at the 5511 podcast.